Ecclesiastes 2, looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. During the last two years or so, and really especially from the, the whole COVID thing, this expression has been a very common one that I put at the top of your bulletin uh, for the sermon title. I've mentioned before I hate sermon titles, trying to think of a good sermon title. Last week's was really hard. It was an enigma, let me tell you. It was vanity trying to think of it. I just, oh, this one came to me just like that. YOLO, it's the first thing that came into my mind. Now, some of you might be like, what is YOLO? I have no clue. YOLO stands for you only live once. And that has been a very common expression over the last two years, especially among unbelievers. Well, you know, people are, are, are worried about getting sick. Some are getting sick. Some are dying. And you only live once. YOLO. And it's a hashtag on Twitter. It's very popular in social media and things like that. And from a YOLO outlook perspective on life, that's going to be running through your mind now the rest of the day, isn't it? From that perspective on life, people have done things to their bodies of a permanent nature over these last two years that they would not have done otherwise. Why? Because you only live once. People have purchased things for their homes over these last two years because you only live once. People have quit their jobs to do something more authentic for who they really are. You know, when I hear that, I just want to pinch them. Who really are you? Ow, why'd you do that? Well, I just want to make sure you're real. You're being authentic. You're your true self. And so they've quit their jobs and done various things. We saw, well, in fact, go back to chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 where Solomon gave kind of the theme and the plan for the book of Ecclesiastes. He says in verse 2, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then the plan for the book. What profit has a man from his, all his labor in which he toils under the sun? What is the ultimate, the ultimate uh, benefit that comes from everything that someone does? Labor in the sense of career is involved here, but not just labor. Everything in life is involved. We're going to look at an aspect of that. But from these two verses, we see that Solomon is basically saying that sinners living in a sin-cursed world, they will always be limited, always frustrated, always in the dark about ultimate meaning and purpose in life. We look last week at verses 12 to 18 of chapter 1. And there he showed that man's efforts cannot change. Ultimately, they cannot permanently improve life. No matter what man does, they will never permanently improve life. He also showed, uh, addressed the idea of wisdom or understanding. Man's wisdom ultimately will never, will never give a thorough understanding of life. Why is that? Because of the curse of sin in this world. We live in a sin-cursed world, and so it's a struggle. Well, Solomon finished that. If man's efforts don't have lasting results, if man's wisdom doesn't give the real meaning and purpose in life, maybe the answer is somewhere else. Maybe the answer is somewhere else. And so in chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 11, 
he turns from those things, he turns inward, turns to himself. Maybe the answer is enjoying myself in everything that life has to offer. That's his perspective. That's his looking at it. He's helping us see that nothing in this world ultimately gives lasting reason. And so he says in a couple things, look with me at verse 3. There's a phrase I want us to look at in verse 3 and in verse 9. Verse 3, he says, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. Here's the phrase, while guiding my heart with wisdom. And then look at verse 9. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Here it is. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So Solomon is basically saying this. All the while, controlled by God's truth, I sought to find meaning and significance in two areas. All the while, controlled by God's truth, that's what wisdom involves. I sought to find meaning and significance in two areas. The first area, number one, was things that are enjoyable. Things that are enjoyable. He looked first, verses 1 and 2, at mirth, pleasure, and laughter. Come now, verse 1. I'll test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this was also vanity, and I said of laughter, madness, and a mirth, what does it accomplish? So what are you talking about here with mirth and pleasure and laughter? Mirth is talking about good and joyful things. Let me give you some examples. Family gatherings. This is how this word is used elsewhere in Scripture. It's used of family gatherings that are, well, enjoyable times. Birthday parties. Birthday parties. We love a good birthday party, don't you? Well, the older you get, they might not be as enjoyable, but be honest, deep down, your family throws you a birthday party, you might say, I don't want to be reminded, but you know what? It does kind of make me feel good. It is kind of enjoyable. I do enjoy the cake and the ice cream and all that. We can't enjoy that. Even this is used of religious gatherings, the joy of worshiping the Lord, it's used in Psalms. The second one, pleasure. Pleasure. This is also talking about the good things in life. Like what? Food. Food is pleasurable. Tell me otherwise. Food is enjoyable, isn't it? Weddings are pleasurable. Now I will say, after doing, how many weddings did I do this year? Three? I'm done with weddings for now. Okay? You have to be on my side of it to, to get my perspective of it. There are a lot of work and a lot of, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Can I do this? Can I do this? No, no, yes, yeah. Oh. But my wedding, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. New clothes can be pleasurable. I know this for a fact. Maybe not the guys so much, but when the females in my house come back from Goodwill with bags of clothes, Dad, you want to see what I got? I have learned over the years to say yes. 
even though inwardly I could care less. And they know it too. But I'm going to say yes, and they show it to me, and I said, that's great. I'm so excited. I don't know if I say that, but... Canoeing can be pleasurable. I have not been canoeing in decades. The last time I was canoeing, I was with my wife, and she wasn't my wife then, and we tipped the canoe over, and we've never been canoeing since. <laughs> Actually, I have been at Camp Penile. Some people say skydiving is pleasurable. That's just wrong. <laughs> dirt bike riding. I did some dirt bike riding when I was a kid. That's fun. Letting it all out, you know, just going full blast. Makeup is pleasurable. Not for me. I've seen some women. Not here. I'm thinking my family. Doing all this. And, oh, man, that must be a chore. Oh, you can see this and watch this YouTube video and how I can do that. And I, really? Hairstyling? NASCAR is pleasurable to some people. My brother loves NASCAR. And I watch it. It's kind of like watching golf. You know, and some of you find golf pleasurable. And other of us are like, I'd rather watch paint dry. Horseback riding. I haven't been horseback riding in decades either. I about got kicked off, and I really don't have much desire to be on a horse again. But some of you love horseback riding. YouTube videos. Memes. We could keep going on and on with enjoyable, good, pleasurable things in life. Then there's laughter. Laughter. That's fun times and all the things right up above. You know, our building committee has enjoyed laughter in some of our building meetings. You might say, wow, how'd that happen? I don't remember, I just know it did. We've laughed here this morning, haven't we? It's been an emotional response to things that we've had. He also talked, number two, about something else that was enjoyable, drink and silliness, verse three. I searched my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly. Now, our automatic interpretation of what he says here is drunkenness and debauchery. Well, I want, to keep, I want you to keep two things in mind. I want you to keep two things in mind. The first thing you need to keep in mind is back then, they did not have ready access to safe drinking water. I mean, we need to have a drink of water. We just turn the tap help ourselves to it. You might not hear in this building, all right, uh, but at your home, we have ready access to drinking water. So what did they do? So that they had safe drinking, uh, something safe to drink. They used the process of fermentation that would kill the bacteria. Um, normal wine back then, if you were to get drunk from it, you would have to drink so much of it, you'll be going to the bathroom a lot more and quicker than you would be getting drunk from it. They did have what was called strong drink. And the Bible always condemns that. That's so the first thing is you need to understand the history and what's going on then. But number two, a second thing to remember, what was Solomon, what did he say two times in this passage in verses 1 to 11? Two times he said he was controlled by God, God-given wisdom. And what did Solomon say elsewhere about 
wine and drink. Well, let me give you just three. He said a lot more, but let me give you just three from the book of Proverbs. So if you want to write these down, Proverbs 3.10. He says of the one who puts the Lord first, he says, you're going to experience a, a physical blessing under the Mosaic law. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Chapter 20, verse 1. Solomon says in chapter 20 of verse 1 of Proverbs, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Solomon said that. And then chapter 21, verse 17, he who loves wine will not be rich. So what's Solomon talking about here when he says, I saw it in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. I think it would be an accurate way to say that he was a connoisseur. He was a connoisseur of good beverages and food, and he had the money and the resources to do it. What exactly, some of you kids might be like, kind of who? What's a connoisseur? A connoisseur is an expert. He's a specialist. He has enthusiasm about it. I have some relatives, some family members who shall be unnamed, none here, who are connoisseurs when it comes to coffee. Not my son Andy. Andy drinks Maxwell House and is fine with it. I like, well, I like my Starbucks because I can get it cheap at a salvage store. So Andy says, I'm uppity when it comes to coffee. And I say, no, I like it and it's cheap. But I do have, I'm really tempted to name the individuals in my family, but I won't. Their process of making coffee involves pouring and mixing and doing all that. You know, I don't want to do that when I get up in the morning. I just want to push start on the coffee machine and wait. That's what I want to do. But my relatives, they do all this pouring and mixing. And you know, what I drink to them is like drinking instant coffee, which I don't mind instant coffee either. And some of you might say, you, and I could say, well, see, you're an uppity connoisseur also. Solomon was a connoisseur of good beverages and food. In other words, he's talking about with these things, good times, enjoyable social occasions, good, clean, fun. Because what is directing him through it? His God-given what? Wisdom. His God-given wisdom. You and I do the same things. You and I do the same things. You do not eat or drink what is bland or tasteless. If given the choice between, oh, I don't know, I have to be careful here, so I'll just pick things that I know. Given the choice between parsnips and, uh, or pickled beets and... Um, well, what shall I say here? Lasagna? Yeah. Okay. I know some of you like parsnips and pickled beets, but uh, no, it just makes me inwardly recoil. You have the choice of choosing what you want. You open the, your, your refrigerator, you look inside your cupboard, and you're looking for something that tastes what? Good. You do the same thing. If you're going to turn the TV on, you're going to put in a video, you're going to watch something on your screen, whatever it might be. Are you going to watch something boring? 
Kids, I got this great documentary. It's six hours long on the intricacies of paint drying. This is going to be great. Oh, Dad, we love you, but no, no. What do you do to your body? You don't intentionally hurt your body. You take care of your body, don't you? Solomon is saying here, I have seen and heard all these things. And I have seen you, and I have heard you laugh, enjoy one another, smile, talk about good food, and how to make things. I've heard you laugh and talk about good experiences. I have never seen anyone here during our lunch fellowships or any other time. I've never seen any one of you go to someone who is laughing and enjoying and talking about something and tell them to stop because the day of judgment is coming. You must not laugh. You must not enjoy that. Day of judgment is coming. We enjoy these things too, don't we? We can be mirthful and laugh and enjoy good food and drink. What's Solomon's conclusion to all these things then? What's his conclusion? He says, vanity, madness, and what does it accomplish? In other words, by madness, he says, it fails to give ultimate significance. It's like breath. It's madness in the sense of it's senseless and meaningless. What does it accomplish? It really doesn't do anything lasting. It really isn't of ultimate meaning and significance. And he's right, isn't he? When you think about your favorite parsnip dish, your favorite instant coffee, your love for NASCAR racing, ultimately, what does it accomplish? Ultimately, does that really give the meaning of life? No, it doesn't. There's a second area that he looked at where he sought to find ultimate meaning and significance. Number two, projects and possessions. Projects and possessions. Verses four through nine. Let me just read verses four through eight. I'll read through verse 9 also. Verse 4. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. Well, no, let's just take these one at a time. So, number one, he has houses and vineyards in verse 4. If you want, you could write down 1 Kings 7 and 9 and learn more about these. 1 Kings 7 and 9. And there you're going to see some of the building projects that Solomon did. Let me list them for you. Don't write them down because they're there in 1 Kings 7 and 9. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. He built the hall of pillars. The hall of judgment. He built his own house that was magnificent. He built a house for his first wife and Pharaoh's daughter. And it says there in 1 Kings uh, chapter 9 about these. All these were of costly stones cut to size. It was custom made. Trimmed with saws inside and out. 
from the foundation to the eaves, and also on the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, large stones, some ten cubits and some eight cubits. And above were costly stones hewn to size and cedar wood. But wait, there's more. Not only did he do great building things, he built and fortified cities. Like what? Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, Getzer, Lorbeth, Haran, Baalath, Tadmor, and there's a few others. Folks, we can't keep our own single house up. Solomon held multiple houses. He took care of cities. And don't forget, what was his greatest building project? The temple. Remember how it was overlaid with gold? Number two, gardens, parks, and various kinds of fruit trees. Verse five, I made myself gardens and orchards and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. Now, for me, this doesn't hold any interest. But we do have folks here who do enjoy gardening, who like flowers, who appreciate trees. You know what Solomon had? He had his own Holden Arboretum. And it was massive and big. And as a result of that, number three, he had to build reservoirs. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. Number, uh, uh, number four, verse seven, I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. You could look at 1 Kings 10, verse five along this line. But he has all these things, these building projects, this holding arboretum of the watering, that takes a workforce to, to keep it up. And then lastly, number five, uh, silver, gold, treasures, music, and as I put here, many wives. Look at verse eight. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of king and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. Now you might say right away, I didn't see many wives in there. Well, I'll just hold that thought. We'll get to it in a little bit. What did he do with gold and silver? Well, his throne was made of ivory, overlaid with gold. His drinking glasses in 1 Kings 10, this is all in 1 Kings 10, his drinking glasses were made of gold. You know, on occasion, when uh, our glasses start to dwindle and we buy a new set, eventually, guess what happens when the glasses that are up here and the glasses are in the dishwasher? Guess what happens eventually? I'll be in the living room or up in my office and I'll hear a doo-doo-dish. Like, oh no, there goes another one. That never happened with Solomon's made of gold. Every three years, 1 Kings 10.22, every three years, ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, and all kinds of exotic animals. In 1 Kings 10.27, it says that silver and Jerusalem was as common as, uh, silver in Jerusalem was as common as stones. It just wasn't valuable. There was so much silver around, it was like, eh. You're getting the idea of some serious wealth here, aren't you? And oh, by the way, he also had music. 
He also had male and female singers. Then we have this phrase at the very end of verse 8 that's translated in the King James and the New King James, musical instruments of all kinds. Now, the Hebrew in this phrase, I'm not going to give it to you right now. Don't worry. I know some of you ones were really hoping for that. Uh, it really doesn't matter. It really, it only occurs here in the Hebrew Bible. This is the only place. So what does it mean? And so what we have to do then is we need to look at uh, what were, were other, other ways that similar expressions were used in surrounding areas at the same time. So then we're going to look at Ugaritic. We're going to look at Arabic. And we're going to look at Akkadian. And often this is referring to uh, wives. Now, did Solomon have many wives? Boy, it's quiet in here. He did, didn't he? This was part of what he was trying to find significance in. More on that later, because now you're all like, what's going on here? This doesn't seem right. Number three is you only live once a good philosophy of life. Verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart rejoiced in my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Number one, the only good that comes from things is the enjoyment of doing them is the enjoyment of doing them. Did you hear that? And the last thing that he said there in verse 10, this was my reward. He's not saying that in a bad way. He's just saying that as a matter of fact. I did all this stuff, and my reward was my enjoyment in doing it. Solomon's going to come back to this a few more times. Hold your place here. You really don't need to, but go to chapter 3 and verse 22. Chapter 3 and verse 22 which we will see in a couple Sundays. He says in 3.22, I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Go to chapter 5 and verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him for it is his heritage. Did you hear what he said there? It's good to eat and drink and your labor there. And then to chapter 9 and verse 9. Chapter 9 and verse 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which he has given you under the sun all the days of your vanity for that is your portion in life and the labor which you perform under the sun. So go back to chapter 2 and your, your notes here. Number 2, verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and the labor in which I had toiled Indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Number two, nothing in this life is the purpose of life. Nothing in this life is the purpose of life. 
Beginning of verse 11. I looked back in all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. So he looked back on everything. Everything that he enjoyed. Point number one. And everything that he accomplished. All the works. Point number two. I looked back at that. And my assessment, the rest of verse 11, his assessment of Yolol, his assessment of you only live once. In other words, things are enjoyable and projects and possessions. He says at the end of the day, what happens with laughter? It stops. What happens with a party? It's over. What happens with a construction project? It's finished. And you kind of kind of end up with that's it. That's it. And so Solomon uses his key word, Havel. Remember that word? Havel. And he's saying it's just part of the created order. Laughing and drink and food clothing and NASCAR and buildings. It's just all part of the created order. And there is no profit with it under the sun. It's like a breath. Breath means something to the one who's breathing. And that's it. And you can't hang on to it. Once it's gone, it's finished. There's no profit under the sun. End of verse 11. No ultimate meaning and purpose in these things. Did he say you can't enjoy them? No. We're going to see that he will say that. He's going to end the book with an exhortation along that line. But these things in and of themselves, there is nothing lasting significant about them. They are like breath. And they're gone. Solomon sought to find lasting meaning and significance in pleasure and products, as he said here, while guiding his heart with wisdom. He didn't do this with reckless abandon. It's easy to read this passage that way. Boy, he just let himself go. I would encourage you, take seriously what he said two times. My wisdom guided me. My wisdom guided me. Remember what he said about, uh, what's it called when you jump out of a plane and, and you're skydiving? Do you remember what I said about that? That's just crazy, okay? Is it possible to do skydiving somehow wisely? Yeah. You're going to make sure your parachute's on. You're going to go with somebody that they know what they're doing. Don't think that's crazy. But you can do it wisely. Solomon did that here. His focus was on the things that he did. This is important to see here from these verses. The focus is on the things that he did. His focus was not on getting wasted. It's easy to read that onto it, but that was not his objective. The things that he did. He was seeking meaning in the enjoyable things of life. And so it's easy for us even to look at Solomon and say, you are hedonist. You're just living to please your flesh. You're just trying to gratify that. 
I want you to stop a minute. And I want us to see that that's not the case. Today is October 9. What's coming in a few months? It's going to be white. It's going to be cold. It's coming, isn't it? It is coming. Let me ask you something. What's the minimum temperature needed to sustain life? Probably like, I don't know, 40s or 50s? Let's say 50 degrees is the minimum temperature needed to sustain life. It's probably less than that. Let's just all agree on that, okay? I know it's... But you'll agree with me, when you step out there, you're not going to freeze and die when it's 50s. Okay? Do you keep your house at 50 degrees? You don't, do you? You do not keep your house at 50 degrees. What temperature do you put your house at? You put it at a temperature that is comfortable. And what is comfortable? It is pleasing your, uh uh-oh, flesh. You hedonist, you. Don't you know that we have a building project going on? Put your dial at 50 degrees so you can give more money to our building project. You hypocrite. Let's take it up. Uh, let's take let's take it up a, a, a notch. We're in late January. It's zero degrees. We're getting six inches of snow every night. You know, the first couple times is fun, but after day after day, like oh, I have to plow snow again. And somebody offers you. A free week-long trip to, I don't know, Arizona or Florida. <coughs> Buy a pool with unlimited quantities of Diet Coke or your favorite beverage, Zevia or Buy or whatever your favorite beverage might be. And you're going to be like, now we're talking. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Aren't you just pleasing your flesh then? You know what I'm setting you up for. If anybody goes to Florida this winter, I got you. I got you. Solomon wasn't being a hedonist. He wasn't being a greedy capitalist. Because we have cell phones that cost hundreds of dollars. We have vehicles that cost a lot of money. We have homes that cost a really lot of money. You have hobbies. You enjoy sports. And we could go on and on. But the point is this. The difference between us and Solomon is what? Money and the opportunity. If you had Solomon's money, would you be driving the car that you're driving right now? Would you keep your thermostat at 60 degrees? No way. If you had Solomon's money and you had his opportunity... You would probably, yeah, let's put the heat up a little bit more. We can afford it. We don't need to buy, I don't need to buy my Starbucks from a a salvage store. I can buy it from the real store now. I can pay the big bucks for it. What about Solomon's many wives? I said 
I tackle that one here briefly. Well, what else? Is he the only one that did? Abraham had a couple wives. Jacob had a couple wives. Who was Solomon's dad? Did he have a couple wives? And what does the scripture say of David? He was a man after... Oh, we don't want to say that, do we? We don't want to say that. But those are the facts. Now, there's something else, a fact to remember, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 17. The Lord said in the law that kings should not multiply wives or greatly multiply silver and gold. Something else to keep in mind about Solomon, 1 Kings 11. What happened as a result of his many wives? Led his heart, what? Astray. Something else to keep in mind. What did Solomon teach in Proverbs about when and where to enjoy marital intimacy? Whenever you want, however you want, with whomever you want, know when and where and marriage. And in marriage alone. There's a lot of things involved here. But I don't want us to lose the point here of Solomon's point in Ecclesiastes. The purpose of life wasn't found in that. To which we would all say a resounding duh. Here's the main point I want us to see. We need to see that Solomon wants us to see, that God wants us to see from this passage. Living for yourself. Living for yourself is not the meaning and purpose of life. The things of this life will never give lasting satisfaction. And that's because God made you more. God made you for more than just living for this life, for these things. The things of this life, they were created to sustain you. They were created to help you glorify God with your life. There are enjoyable things in this life, but they were created. They were created to help you. They weren't created to be the goal of life, a help. There's profitable things to do, but those are not the reason for living, like a building there's enjoyable and profitable things in this life that exist to help us to live for Christ. As Solomon will say later on, there is a time to laugh, a time to love, and a time to build, and a time to plant. He said that, doesn't he? Didn't he? When you make anything in this life the goal and aim of life, that has become an idol. These things exist to help us serve God, not be gods. They exist to help us to serve God, not be gods. Later on, Solomon's going to talk about enjoying such things, but right now, right here, his focus is on one point, the meaning and purpose of life, and it's not found in those things. I'd like to close by directing you to some New Testament passages that help us with this. Let's go first to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. 
Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. Jesus said, Luke 12, 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Boy, it's like he was reading Solomon or something. He continues, He spoke a parable to them. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought with himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is there anything wrong with a building a barn? No. But that's what he lived for. And God's assessment was, you fool. Let's go now to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. There are those, there have been those, and are those who do say that things like marriage and uh, uh, food, that they're all sinful. What does God say about that? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. One last passage, same book, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. Chapter 6, verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and the many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The question today is, will you learn from what Solomon learned? Will you learn from what Solomon learned? Or will you be foolish? which is an unbeliever. Will you be foolish and not believe what Solomon said and you'll rush headlong into living for the things of this life? One last statement. There is a kernel of truth in YOLO. The kernel of truth is this. You only live once. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die, 
and after this the judgment. You will only live once. And after you live, after you die, you will go to meet the Lord. The question for now is who are you trusting? Who are you living for? Is Jesus Christ first in your life or are you first? Let's pray.